Hello, it's Ed. It's the Wrestling for MMA podcast. It's back. I'm doing it again. I took a long break. Um, just, you know, running the fight site and all my other duties and my life and all that jazz. It was a lot, so uh, I, I really couldn't keep up with it. But I think I was too ambitious in what I was trying to do. And I'm going to keep it simple. And I'm going to do it more often. And uh, I just like talking to you guys. I like having it coming out consistently. And I, I did take a bunch of listener questions like months ago to answer. And I don't know where they are. And I'm probably never going to get to them. I'm sorry. I'll do more in the future, but I'll only take like a few. I'm not going to do an entire listener questions podcast like I did before, if that's okay with everyone. So I'm going to be tr- trying to be more uh, event centric. I'm going to talk about the events that are coming up and the wrestlers who are on them and, and the wrestling that happens on them. Um, way too much has happened between last time and this time. For me to cover anything that's happened in between these two podcasts, but I'm going to be talking about uh, the Hermanson Vittori card coming up this weekend, uh, tomorrow, I guess, if you're listening to this on Friday when it is dropped. So my format today will be talking about a couple of fighters to watch on the card in a wrestling context, as well as the main event. The main event isn't super interesting to me, but I think there are some wrestling dynamics to talk about. I'm not going to get super in-depth with those. I'm actually going to focus more on the fighters to watch because I care more about them. <laughs> I think they're more interesting. I understand why the fights aren't the main event. This is the highest name value fight on the card. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think there's definitely some interesting stuff to say about some of the other fighters on the card. So let's begin with that. Fighters to watch on the card. Uh, this is someone I'm super high on. He has a featherweight, uh, Ilya Toporia. He's a, a Georgian fighter. The Georgian takeover is now starting in the UFC. Uh, not quite a takeover, but I've been talking about the Georgians for a while. If you've listened to any of my other wrestling podcasts, um, I think their style is very well suited for MMA. Uh, they're, they're a super physical nation, but they also don't have the, uh, the prestige and the, uh, the system that the Russians do to stay in. Of course, world medalists are winning apartments and cars and things of that nature, but I think there's more talent with less places to go. Uh, they don't have the same the same prestige as the Russians do uh, while being very close to their level. So uh, Azerbaijan, as well as another country that I think kind of falls into this category, but I think the Georgians, I hold them in an even higher regard. And if you're just thinking about geography, uh, if you're looking at the Caucasus, uh, we have Dagestan uh, closer to, to the east, uh, Chechnya, which is a great nation for MMA and for striking arts, a little less so for, for wrestling. They don't do very well in the national stage in wrestling. Uh, and then uh, west of, am I thinking my directions right? I am. West of Chechnya are uh, Ingushetia and uh, North Alania Ossetia. Uh, so the Ossetians, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but the Ossetians are the second best wrestlers in Russia uh, behind Dagestan. So those guys don't do MMA. Uh, Dagestan, yes, they definitely do MMA at, at a high rate, um, but you don't really see the Ossetians as much. And uh, Georgia is a little further west uh, from from Ossetia. So these these are the first guys you're seeing from that specific region of the Caucasus, and I think it's a really strong base. And there's a lot of talent over there, and and we're going to be seeing more and more of them. I uh, saw Guram uh, Kutateladze, I think it's pronounced, uh, fighting, uh, oh God, <laughs> the Polish fellow. Uh, geez, 
I forget his name. I wasn't prepared to talk about this. Anyway, that fight was awesome. Uh, oh my God, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to remember his name. Well, I'll remember it later. But he looked really good defensively in that fight, really good offensively, like a, a complete fighter. Um, I think that's what we're going to be seeing more and more with these Georgians. But I, my point was with the geography, we're seeing more of that base. Um, and we're the next fighter we're going to talk about, uh, Mosfar Evloya, is also from Ingushetia, which is closer to uh, Ossetia and, and Georgia than, than Dagestan is. So I think we're starting to mine that region a little bit more, and there's, there's so much to give. Um, if you're just wondering who some other fighters are from other regions, uh, <laughs> which you're probably not, um, Cabardino, Carb Cabardino Balkaria is, I believe, northwest, if you're thinking about Dagestan. And that's uh, Ali Bagov is uh, from there, and Albert Tumenov is from there, and Bieber Tumenov, if you're familiar with his, his brother. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. So let's talk about Ilya Toporia, who is a Georgian uh, fighter who lives in Spain, I believe. I'm not sure if he trains there, but I'm not sure if he grew up there. I don't really know his story, but he is Georgian, and he is amazing, an amazing grappler. I first saw him, there's a clip of him, I think it was Cage Warriors, uh, hitting an, like an anaconda-type grip falling off the back like came off the front and hit it while falling off and, and cinched it up and it was beautiful uh and i saw another clip of him knocking someone out and said okay this guy has a game at the very least he has skills and i watched his ufc debut versus yusuf zalal who was decent in my estimation and he looked really good he was doing basically all of the things that i want to see <laughs> out, of, out of a fighter um especially at this stage uh so first of all he's a pressure fighter which I think lends itself to wrestling very well, obviously, because if you can get them to the cage, that's an entire avenue for wrestling, uh, as well as, you know, pressure opening up uh, potential counter opportunities, which is also good for reactive shooting. So pressuring is great. He's very measured with his footwork, uh, doesn't concede too much distance, comes in well, uh, and he usually comes in behind his jab, which obviously everyone wants out of a fighter, and he level changes very well with his jab. That is exciting to me. Uh, I think a level changing jab should be an essential tool for a fighter uh, because basically faking levels in place is okay, but faking levels in place kind of implies that you're going to do something off the spot, like an explosive overhand or a shot from the outside. Those are kind of your two options there. With the jab, you can be coming in covering distance and you can build off of that. So you can do your level changing jab in to the body and then you could fire off another shot to the body. You could come back up. And on that note, Ilya Toporia does do body head combinations, which I mean, I'm talking about, does he do things? But that, that's an MMA. We have to make those kinds of evaluations of what skills do they possess? What things do they even try to do? And that's something he does. Uh, and this is all bolstered by the fact that he's a great athlete. Um, pretty fast, fairly explosive, very strong, hits hard. Uh, endurance, I think, is pretty solid. We'll talk about that in a second. But just an athlete pressuring, level changing, body head. Uh, cage cutting tools are pretty solid. He uses uh, round punches well, so hooks uh, would be the answer to that, that, the real way of saying that. Um, but yeah, he cuts off the cage well when people try to circle. And you saw that a lot because Alal actually has decent defensive footwork, circles well, a lot of lateral movement, and he was cutting them off. And uh, what was interesting was he wasn't stalling out on every punch. He was fainting. He was like half throwing some and putting himself in position to double up or beaver punch. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting watching him strike on the feet because I don't really think of him as a striker yet. Definitely a grappler for the most part, but his process was really interesting to me and, and I was impressed by it. Um, 
counter punching is <laughs> another thing he has. I mean, he has a an embarrassment of riches when it comes to skill. He can do a lot of a lot of interesting things. Um, he was countering single shots from Zalal. He was countering naked kicks uh, with power. He was countering uh, entries into the pocket. Uh, Zalal was like kneeing into the pocket and, and hitting single strikes in the pocket, like shifting into the pocket. And Topuria was a uh, counter combo into the body and the head uh, very powerfully. Uh, just very uh, committed to his attack. I didn't see any ring rust or jitters or hesitation. He was just going to his game right away and hitting everything. And that really impressed me. And uh, yeah, it, it all depends on the range for him, but he, he applied his own game. He had responses to, to Zalal's game. And uh, so on the feet, his general process, how he approaches the fight, I think it's all there. And that's something I look for in a fighter who's going to approach wrestling. Uh, I want to see how, what's their general process. And he has one and it's good and it's solid and it's sound. Um, with regard to his takedowns, uh, looks like he has a, a decent bit of range there. Um, in the open, he definitely likes his reactive shots and he does something that I think MMA coaches have different feelings on. He does hit the knee a lot of the time and hit and turns the corner and does more of a traditional double leg. Um, yeah, there, there's pros and cons. Uh, it's, it's harder to do that <laughs> for one, it takes more energy. Uh, I think it's easier to finish. So it's, it's more the path to finishing is more straightforward if you're not going to blow right through somebody. Um, but yeah, you can get stuck on bottom. You might not be able to make the full level change when you get tired and it weakens your shot. Um, you know, sometimes depending on the way you're shooting, it can put you more in danger for a guillotine. Uh, he, he was countered with guillotines a few times against the lull. Um, yeah, and just he, uh, he, he got himself stuck a couple times. He, he got stuck in front headlock, um, but that was later in the fight when he's a little more tired. I don't think that's his main game. I don't think he likes to rely on reactive shots. It's just when uh, he was tired and his law started pushing him back, he he felt that the reactive shots were there more often, and he was finishing them. He only didn't finish a couple out of many, many takedowns. So I, I think his endurance is strong. It's just it was a really tough fight uh, where he was pushed a bit. Uh, part of what I think tired him out was that he was attacking a ton of chokes. Uh, that's my dog. You can see her right there. Hey, relax. Sorry, it's unprofessional. Um, Toasty, you gotta, you gotta chill out, man. This is, this is a podcast here. But uh, he was attacking a lot of chokes, and I think he was selling out on them, and they were tiring his arms out, and uh, that might have been part of it. But we'll get to that in one second. I just uh, that that first takedown he hit was was gorgeous. So he pressured to the fence, shot on the fence. Uh, I think he shot a double, uh, switched off to a single. And the cool thing about singles on the fence is if you don't finish them, you can still use them to come up into an underhook. So he used that single position to come up into his underhook. And then uh, as he was, you know, Zlal was trying to turn him off the cage, it gave him the space to get around for a body lock. So he had an over-under body lock, pulled him in super tight, and uh, basically used the momentum of Zlal trying to push him off the fence to hit like a beautiful back arching throw from over-under. So just the, <laughs> the competency alone and the power alone to do that uh, blew me away. You don't see that very often in MMA, especially from an over-under. Um, so he can do it all really as a wrestler. He, he has a lot of, uh, a lot of variety in his skill set. His top game is definitely the strongest point of his skill set, which I haven't even talked about yet, which is, I'm, I'm really, really high on uh, Ilya Toporia. I think he's my favorite prospect right now after I've seen one fight of his in the UFC. If he loses, I'm going to look so stupid. Uh, but I, I, I'm just blown away really. Um, he, on the fence, he used the, the leg mount position, which uh, Habib Nurmagomedov popularized. 
Uh, the leg mount's a really awesome position because it locks down the um, like the, the cage climb from the defensive fighter. And it also opens up your arms to, you know, attack wrists or ground and pound or, you know, use their, their neck and your grips to move them off the cage and put their back on the mat. So that's an awesome position. Um, a lot of times you see guys hugging the hips or the, attacking the legs with their arms against the cage. But in this case, it, it frees him up to, uh, to pursue other avenues. I love that. Um, he has a great passing game, a stack, stack passing game, like a lot of good MMA wrestlers have uh, who do pass guard. And basically, as soon as you try to sit up into him, get an underhook, anything, he's on your neck. Uh, he'll go through the wizard and connect his hands for like a Darce attack or go the other way for an anaconda. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of top side guillotines. I think part of what drew me to him is because this is what I do. <laughs> That's my whole grappling game is where is your neck uh, from any position. Uh, he is much more willing to go to his back on these attacks because he is really good at using the leverage of the choke to put you back on your back and, and cover the top if he needs to. Uh, so he uses these chokes both to attack finishes and to control positions and, and you know, remain, remain in control of the position, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's the whole, it's the whole front headlock choke series. So he'll go um, Darius, Anaconda, uh, topside guillotine. He'll sit through, like you see a lot of team alpha male guys go, they'll sit through to that guillotine and sit through their hip, which can sometimes like the momentum of wrenching your neck over and, and hitting your hip like that will flip them over. So basically reverse position out of front headlock and put them on their back. Um, if he takes the back, he likes to come off to the front. Like I talked about that finish that I saw from him. He likes to come off to the front and attack front headlock chokes that way. Um, Jack Hermanson, who's in the main event, likes to hit the guillotine from that position, which actually coming off the front like that allows you to put their, uh, really pin their, their uh, arm, if you're doing arm and guillotine, pin their arm to their neck and use your hip pressure uh, against the against the neck. I might be picturing it wrong, but uh, Pedro Munoz also hits it that way. Uh, so he likes that, but he also likes to switch off the grip to the bicep and, and try to finish it anaconda style or uh, coming through and going, uh, you know, palm to palm. I think that's a Japanese necktie. I'm not like super schooled on these series. And I think I'll get better with it if I watch him more. Uh, Mads Burnell is another Japanese necktie guy, but uh, yeah, he is very competent. That's definitely his game is that front headlock series. Uh, of chokes and that was basically like half the fight it was just him trying to choke Salal who was super tough and uh, really really gave him a run for his money uh, it was, was super, very competitive uh, after that first round or so so I, I loved that I loved his approach I think he's going to be finishing people with those pretty soon I think Salal was just a special case um, Damon Jackson his next opponent might also be that case because he's on a great win streak right now um, I believe he got guillotined by Yancy Medeiros and put to sleep and like solved the devil uh, in one of his last UFC fights, but he's been out of the UFC for a while. His only loss in his current big streak is a uh, uh, to uh, Haibulaev who flying need him in PFL. And that guy's like a freak and like really good, <laughs> really good all around, but also just an athletic freak. So I don't, I'm not mad at it. Jackson doesn't look like much if you look at him, but I think he's pretty competent and uh, I think he's a wrestling grappler. So it should be interesting. Uh, other hints of a downside for Topuria, he might be small for featherweight. Zalal made him look small, so I don't know if Zalal is big or if he's small, but he did fight at Bantamweight uh, before his last three fights. So he might be a natural Bantamweight or he might just be bulking up to featherweight, but he's super strong. He didn't look undersized in a lot of positions, but I think dealing with Zalal coming after him and being a little undersized might have been what tired him out. So I'm not entirely sure. So that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. 
I can't declare him a future champion or anything yet. We haven't seen quite that much, but he's someone that definitely has my attention. Uh, yeah, he even when he was tired, though, he kept pushing his win condition. Uh, he kept hitting his takedowns. He didn't stop doing what he was doing, and he didn't make any huge mistakes. So very high on Ilya Toporia. Please watch his fight against Damon Jackson. I believe that's on the prelims. Um, that's like my main event. That's, that's really who I want to see succeed here. The other fighter to watch on this card is uh, Mosfar Ivloyev. He's from Gushidia, like I said, uh, which is in between uh, North Ossidia, Alania, and Dagestan. Uh, not like a powerhouse, but it's a, it's a smaller region. But they're they're solid. They get they got guys all the time. Uh, I don't know what exact their relation. They might be cousins or brothers or something like that. Uh, but Musa Ivloyev is a uh, two-time Greco world champion, uh, 2018 and 2019. So returning two-timer. And he was bronze, uh, silver, actually, in 2017, runner-up in 2017. So pound for pound, one of the best Greco wrestlers in the world is a very close family member of his. Um, and I believe they said that uh, Mosar Evloev also competed in Greco, which without knowing what to what level or to what degree or, or anything like that, it doesn't really tell me much. Um, but, you know, he, he has a wrestling base. <laughs> that, that's what's important to know. Um, I am more interested in him as an anti-wrestler, as a counter-wrestler. Um, he fought Enrique Barzola and uh, Mike Grundy most recently. I don't know a ton about Barzola. I mean, I've watched him fight a bunch. Uh, I know he's a, a very uh, persistent wrestler, but actually did not rewatch that fight in preparation for this because I only had so much time. I rewatched the Grundy fight, which I'd seen more recently anyway. And uh, Grundy is, is a very impressive fighter. I think he has a high ceiling. Uh, very powerful athlete, very persistent, durable, um, and ridiculous double leg, a very explosive athlete. Um, he doesn't have anything super solid with regard to credentials. He represented Great Britain and freestyle for a long time. But just to, just to be a freestyle veteran on the circuit, I think is impressive. And uh, you can tell how well prepared I am because I am currently just going to glance at Mike Grundy's credentials and my super secret database. Um, Let's just scroll through here. He has hair in these pictures, but yeah, he competed at 74 kilograms, which is about 165. So uh, significantly down in weight, down to 145 here. Um, but he medaled at the Commonwealth Games in 2007. No, sorry, 2014. I'm sorry. Uh, that's much more recent. <laughs> uh, and I assume his MMA career started right after that. Um, the Commonwealth Games are not really anything to think about. It's just, uh, you know, British territories and former British territories. India is the major player in the Commonwealth. Uh, India can be solid pretty often. So if you didn't win the Commonwealth Games, I'm probably not going to take it seriously. And yes, uh, he took bronze, and the one who won it was Sushil Kumar, who is a, a bronze, not bronze medalist, but an Olympic medalist, I believe. So that was his best finish as of late. He did not medal at a bunch of things before that. And I think that is actually the only competition of note he has ever medaled at. So Grundy wasn't accomplished, but he was on the scene since 2002, uh, cadet juniors and, and seniors. Uh, so he's been at it a long time. He's been to Worlds. Um, so that counts for something. So a very experienced wrestler. But uh, in MMA context, I think he's going to be very effective. And against Ivloev, he, um, despite being at a pretty strong striking disadvantage, he was hitting his reactive shots very well. So uh, whenever Evoy was going for round kicks, basically, or overcommitted on his entries, Grundy hit reactive doubles. Uh, everyone's favorite takedown is a reactive double, I think. <laughs> uh, 
probably because of GSP. Uh, he popularized uh, that as a strategy. Uh, but yeah, Grandi looked amazing because not only did he have this super explosive reactive double um, in the first round, he had it in the third round. He didn't really slow down that much despite having a very power explosive based approach. He kept at it, which always, that's, that's something I love to see is when a fighter either can continue to fight their fight while they're tired or just doesn't really seem to get that tired while continuing to fight their fight if they're not having a conservative approach. Um, so I, I like Mike Grundy, and if Loev had a, a beautiful performance against him, uh, people that study of Loev have noticed his jab, very snappy. Uh, he faints with it. He is very good at extending on it. Um, it's super accurate. I'm not a boxing analyst. I can't like I say more than that. But it looks great. Uses it well. Um, but what he usually starts with is his jabbing and his kicking game. Uh, he's got a nice snappy linear kicking game. So just the, the combination of the jab and the snappy linear kicking game is already a, a good set of tools to have for an anti-wrestler. Uh, the distinction between an anti-wrestler and a counter-wrestler would be that an anti-wrestler is good at preventing wrestling from happening. A counter wrestler is good at you know dealing with wrestling once it's happening. I believe Evloya is is both. He's he's competent in both areas. Um, as an anti wrestler, I mean, if you have good distance management tools like you know defensive footwork, pivoting, lateral movement uh, to not get stuck in the cage, as well as you know the jab to intercept entries and maintain your range, and and the kicks to maintain your range and interrupt entries, that's what you need. You, know, you need to keep them off of you, keep them away from you. Uh, and if they do come forward, you need to be able to maneuver out of that space and maintain the range that you want. So a good uh, mid-range striker, uh, he definitely builds. He, he's a fighter that builds off of that offense. So once he has more time and space to start to pressure a little bit and get his jab off more, more often, uh, he can you know get to his, start adding in you know, the rear straight off of it or uh, mix up the variety of his kicks, uh, start kicking the body a lot more. Uh, he loves that turning side kick to the body. Um, which is another linear strike that I think uh, works well. Um, his round kicking game starts to come more when, when the guys are tired and he knows where they're going to be. Um, he can, you know, really slam them in. But yeah, he's really interesting. And he, he attacks the body a lot and he has a good process. And I think he's going to be a fighter that really shines when he can get into five round fight situations. And I don't know if he will, but I hope he does. And his cardio is fantastic. I mean, Grundy pushed a crazy fight on him. And he hung with them the whole time, super scrappy, super high pace, mobile. Uh, same Topur, very more mobile. But he kept at it the whole time. And like I said, that, that's something that really sticks out to me. Um, yeah, so Grundy was hitting these reactive shots, and it wasn't really Evloa's fault. It's just like he, he was timing the naked kicks well, and obviously naked kicks aren't a perfect thing to do, but it's not like, oh, my God, you throw naked kicks, you're a bad fighter you're allowed to throw naked kicks. It's just that Grundy had excellent timing uh, on the reactive double. And uh, Evloev was crashing forward a little bit on some of his punching entries. So what he did was took out the naked kicks uh, besides the, the snappy linear kicks and jab more often. And on when he did hit his entries, because he wanted to push the action and, you know, come forward with his own combinations. Basically, as soon as he felt like he was overextended or, or at the end of his combination, changed levels and, and, through to the body or just, or just immediately began to underhook or wizard or just lower his hands to, to try to intercept whatever Grundy was going to do. And it worked brilliantly. Um, he was crashing forward, but even when Grundy level changed and got to his legs, 
if Lloyd was already there with the underhook, he was already there with this wizard. And then in those situations, he looked super confident, uh, stood him up off of either of those uh, strategies, turned him towards the cage, uh, limp legged out if he, if he got to his leg and he had the wizard. Um, just like clearly knew what he was doing, looked great in those situations and was getting, getting to them. He wasn't letting uh, Grundy get clean attacks off. Now, Grundy just has a crazy, powerful, explosive double. So sometimes even when Evloev was doing things right, and he's a little bit small, he's either a little bit small for featherweight or Grundy's big. Uh, we just talked about how Grundy wrestled at 165, so I think Grundy's big. <laughs> but he was still able to blow through him a couple times. Basically, whenever Evloev threw anything, Grundy said, I can shoot under this, and, and sometimes it worked. Uh, so when he did actually get him down, uh, he... Uh, Evloev looked really good at creating space off bottom and elevating Grundy and making sure he was stacked and leaving room for him to get his hips out. Uh, so he was like knee shielding and pushing off and controlling wrists and uh, using butterfly guard. Um, and his goal was basically just to get his hips out laterally so he could start to sit up into front headlock. And Grundy looked super strong from front headlock, very heavy. But uh, here comes the, the counter wrestling. Uh, Evloev at one point uh, basically stood up with Grundy on top of him in front headlock and hit his knees and, and, and arched back uh, using his head as a lever underneath Grundy's hips. It was a beautiful counter. I'm not exactly sure what it's called, but that would have been a, a four-pointer in, in freestyle. It was awesome. Uh, so he countered the front headlock situation there. So he has tricks, you might call them, in those situations. Uh, another one is the fat man roll. Grundy took him down into turtle or referee's position, you might call it. And uh, he controlled wrists and then blocked the uh, the post on one side and rolled, rolled, Granby rolled himself through and uh, got out and reversed on that one. Uh, but then on another situation, Grundy took him down in that position again. It was a little more stingy. And instead of trying to hit another like you know counter or a trick in that position, Evloev went two on one on one wrist, put it on the other side of his head, and uh, stood up, which is exactly what you learn in wrestling. So Evloev isn't just a counter wrestler. He isn't just an anti-wrestler. He is competent. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't just have tricks. He can get out of those situations procedurally and technically, which is huge for me. I mean, these are all very basic things I'm talking about, but you don't see them that often. <laughs> so uh, I'm excited. I'm excited about Ilya Topuria, and I'm excited about uh, most of our Evloev uh, for sure. So those are guys I want you to watch. Evloev is fighting Nate Landwehr, who... I don't know a lot about. <laughs> I know he uh, he's a, definitely a more of a, um, I don't know what you want to call it, a conceptual fighter than someone who has a lot of great tools. He's someone that applies a certain approach and it works for him and he's confident enough to make it work. Um, you know, Herbert Burns knocked him out, I believe, which is not a great sign to get knocked out by a grappler, but the Burns brothers are very aggressive and powerful. So um, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, not super read up on Damon Jackson or... Uh, Nate Landwehr. I know Nate Landwehr was M1 champion, so he is used to fighting Russians, you might call them. <laughs> but, and and that, that actually means something because, I mean, if, if you've ever listened to any of our coverage on ACA, formerly ACB, those guys have a much higher uh, competency level of skill um, and higher level of athleticism, I find, uh, which is why the UFC doesn't sign them in mass because it would be chaos. Uh, there would be way too many high-level Russians dominating divisions. It would be bad for their demographics. But uh, he has not lost besides the Burns fight. He hasn't lost since 2015. Um, so no losses while fighting in Russia. I don't know if anyone he fought was that great. Uh, but still, 
he might be prepared. Uh, I think he'll he'll push it, and we won't. Maybe we'll get to see Evloev's offensive wrestling game because I haven't watched him enough to see if he has that. But in conclusion, with the fighters to watch, Toporia, Evloev, I'm really excited about both of them. Uh, I didn't used to be excited about Floyd because I only saw the Barzola fight and I was like, eh, what's he doing? Um, didn't see that, like, see, didn't see a lot of intention behind his game, but he, a lot of his game is just like being better than you on the feet and picking you apart. And that doesn't always stand out to me right away. But now that I saw him face someone trying to very intently uh, push their game on him and him being able to deal with it in such an amazing fashion, uh, I'm super impressed. So the Grundy fight sold me. I like Floyd a lot. I like Toporia more, but Somehow, I think if they fought, if Lloyd would win. So <laughs> maybe that's something to, to think about. Okay, so that's fighters to watch. And now let's just talk a little bit about the main event. Marvin Vittori versus Jack Hermanson. Uh, Jack Hermanson, let's start with him. He, he's grown up a lot. Uh, when he first debuted in the UFC, I thought his stand-up was kind of gimmicky. Like he just did a lot of exaggerated moving around on the feet. And it was, it was a little much, and it wasn't really serving him in any way, but he was able to walk people into stuff, and uh, it, it worked for him as a grappler. His game is definitely a top-position grappler. His ground and pound is super heavy. Passing game is good. Uh, hip pressure is good. Um, it, we talked about the pocket guillotine off of back control. That's great as well. Um, but, yeah, his stand-up has really grown. He, he's definitely become more competent as a boxer. You saw him in the Jacare fight. Uh, he boxed with Jacare very well. Um, but yeah, his, his top game is definitely his money. As a wrestler, I think that his leg attacks, you know, shooting doubles and such, are, it's, he's pretty good when he gets to them, but he's not that great at setting it up. Uh, he, can't, he can shoot reactively, he can shoot on the fence, but he typically does it from too far away. It looks kind of ugly, leads with his head, bends over the waist um, to not create mechanically. He's very strong. And everything he does is kind of janky, so it makes sense that his grappling would be janky as well. But yeah, I'm not super sold on that. What he's really good at is upper body takedowns, um, trips, throws, things of that nature, uh, which is funny because he got lateral dropped by Kelvin Gastelum. <laughs> uh, Kelvin took him down before he got submitted, which is very interesting because if anyone got lat dropped in that fight, I thought it'd be Hermanson lat dropping Kelvin. But uh, yeah, that, that happened. <laughs> but the David Branch fight is a good one. Uh, I believe Hermanson had a, had underhooks on him, jacked him up with the underhooks and started to, you know how you uh, you turn the wheel instead of a foot sweep in, in Muay Thai? Uh, he did that with underhooks, which I thought was pretty sweet. Jacked him up and made him tall and started to move him to the side, then, then swept out the foot. Uh, it was very exaggerated looking. He's very powerful when he does these things, but um, that impressed me. And uh, I think that, that could be something here in this fight, but uh, Hermanson's takedown game is not all that reliable, and his stand-up is definitely getting there, but I don't have enough of a grasp on it to confidently say where it is. So Hermanson, I enjoy him as a grappler. I don't, I never trust him, just because I don't really like his process of getting fights to the ground. I don't think it works. It's going to work on anyone good, um, but we'll find out, because I think Marvin Vittori is approaching, approaching good. He's getting there. Uh, Marvin Vittori was kind of someone I just cared about because he was Italian, <laughs> just having some some pride from my heritage, even though he's Northern Italian, which doesn't really apply. Uh, it's not, that's not my people, but it's okay. Uh, there's not enough Italian representation in MMA, so you gotta, you gotta take what you get. Uh, but yeah, Vittori has turned into something pretty interesting. 
Um, his boxing is, as Jack Slack said, super meat and potatoes. Um, he's mostly one twos and a little bit of head movement, but I mean, he's a King's MMA fighter, which is what they are. They're one twos and a little bit of head movement and uh, round kicking and pressure. Uh, so that's, that's really all you need to be successful, especially in a more shallow division like middleweight. Um, he's a little slow, but he's fairly powerful. He's fairly durable. Uh, he's big, he's strong, and he's a good grappler, good top position grappler. Um, not amazing defensively, but pretty solid. I would say he's overall competent. He's an overall competent fighter, just doesn't really blow you away on speed or, or athleticism, um, but he's there. He's there in most stages. Um, if he's going to lose this fight, it's probably because Hermanson takes him down and does something to him on top. I think he probably could finish Vittori on top. But I recently watched his fight with Antonio Carlos Jr., which is the one that stood out to me as a loss where he got grappled. And I was actually pretty impressed with his level of wrestling. He has good, uh, good solid fundamentals, especially on the cage, which is where I think Hermanson will probably try to take him down. Um, but yeah, he, he was peeling off wrists well. He's standing him up the wizard well. Um, he, know, he knows his stuff, which doesn't surprise me because the Kings MMA guys uh, work out with some high-level wrestling coaches. And a lot of the times, I think the, the club might have disbanded, but uh, Church Boys in, uh, in LA is a really good wrestling club, uh, mostly for high school guys. But I mean, high-level high school coaching would be really good for MMA fighters. Honestly, they're not quite that level overall. So uh, Pedro Munoz became, uh, frankly, an amazing wrestler for MMA. Uh, out of that camp, and a lot of those guys are good wrestlers, so I, I think it's consistent with the camp. Uh, mainly, I think that Hermans is going to struggle to take him down. Uh, I don't know a ton about Vittori's open space takedown defense or how he does in those upper body situations that Hermans is going to force on him. I also, I'm not sure how they're going to look when they when they clinch up, like how big is, is Hermanson going to seem, because there's all this talk of Vittori being big. Hermanson's bigger. <laughs> that's been the narrative of the fight that Vittori is big uh Hermanson's probably bigger I think um he's just built differently he's kind of cocky um but yeah I'm not sure I'm not sure if Hermanson can take him down but I'm not sold on the fact that Vittori will definitely win if Hermanson can't take him down uh just because Hermanson's striking has come a long way and Vittori's isn't amazing um but I think it could turn out to be a pretty competitive fight uh I didn't do a ton of studying for either of them. I'm not really sold on this fight as something interesting. Um, I'm going to watch it <laughs> for sure. And I think wrestling will be a factor. It might be something to talk about next week because I'm going to do this again next week. That's right. Um, I don't remember what the card is next week, but I'll talk about it before. I'll recap this one and I'll talk about that one. And hopefully both of my boys, uh, Ilya Toporia and Mosvar Evloyev both win because I am really looking forward to them the most. But uh, yeah, that's all I have to say for, for today. Um, perhaps I'll do some listener questions in the future. There's also the, the Patreon tier, the $10 Patreon tier that, that allows you to ask questions on our podcast. That is not just like a quick question and answer. That's why I've done this podcast before. If you pay $10 on our Patreon, not only do you get access to all of our content on Patreon, which is a lot, um, and you get in our Discord server, which is where you can you know hang out with us and talk and be part of a, a community. Um, the $10 Patreon question tier, that's like a full podcast. So the way that I focused on Toporia and uh, Evloev, I could focus on a fighter that you like um, for $10 or multiple fighters or a concept or something. I'll, I'll pay more attention to your concept than just a quick answer. I'll, I'll spend the majority of a podcast on it. So if that interests you, I'm down. I'm down to do it. Just uh, 
pay up, buddy. <laughs> that's all. That's all for today. I'm, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be doing this. I hope you listen. Um, and I hope if you like this and you haven't heard them before, go back and listen to other episodes because I put a lot of effort into them. And uh, I enjoy it. I like talking about wrestling and MMA. Surprise. Okay. See you guys next week, probably around this time. Bye-bye.